Tonight, Pastor Sadler's lesson is titled, How Do You Want to Be Remembered? We are called to be servants, and if Jesus himself served, how much more should we? Your kids, grandkids, go to school at least 32 to 40 hours a week, and there's very little, if no, biblical training or education. And so we're already behind uh, if we don't prioritize Wednesday night because we just have them an hour or so. And so are we saying that the things of public education are more important than things of eternal education? Okay, I don't think it's necessarily either or. I do think it's both. And we as parents... And grandparents, we emphasize a good education. Who in here believes in a good education? Now, you're talking about a guy that crammed four years of Bible college into five. And I have seven years of college, and in, in the grand scheme of things, that really doesn't matter at all. What I have learned about education, good education, is Real education gives you an awareness of how little you know. Everybody say amen. Real knowledge and understanding helps you identify areas that you may be more proficient in or you may have more expertise. Now, who here is an expert? Nobody's an expert because an X is a has-been and a spurt is a drip under pressure. Nobody wants Who's got an uncle that's a know-it-all? Okay. That's, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be sophomoric, which means you don't want to know just enough to get you in trouble because soph sophomore means wise fool. We want to continually learn, but the more we learn, the more humble we should become because we realize even though we may have an area of expertise or an area we are proficient in, we don't know it all. Who in here has had enough Life experiences to realize there's so much you don't know. The beginning of wisdom is acknowledging that you don't know it all. Amen. So we looked last week, gearing up our minds and our hearts, moving towards, uh, can you believe 2023? Did you ever think we'd hear 2023? It just seems like, 1923 was yesterday. I mean, you know. Anybody here remember 1923? Only from a historical perspective, okay? Now, it just can't believe we're saying that. Just like yesterday, it was Y2K. We're going into the, the, the 2000, the new millennium, and here we are 23 years into it. And so we want to be intentional. We want to engage our lives intentionally. And we looked last week at goals. Who thinks God uh, is okay with us setting goals? Yes. Do, do we set goals apart from what God's will for our life is? No. We inquire of God. We ask him and he directs our path. He is a lamp and a light. He gives us insight. And at the end of the day, if he doesn't want it for us, it's probably not good, good for us, and we don't want it. So we, we reconciled last week how we have goals, but then we have to align 
our goals with his will, and then it'll be fruitful, beneficial, and successful. And so you're going to keep working over the next couple weeks developing goals for the new year. Who in here has got financial goals for 2023? Who's got emotional goals for 2023? Okay, Some of y'all are going to work on some relationships in 2023, whether your relationship with you and God or you and each other. Who's going to got some health goals, some health goals? Some health. Now, do not be remiss and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, is evaluating spiritual goals. Who, who admits that you're a ladder climber at work? There's no shame in that. <clears throat> Who's driven? I'm asking. Who, who in here really, you, you don't want to be the newbie forever? Who admits you don't want to have that entry-level position forever? Who would like some advancement opportunity? If we understand that in secular employment, can we not understand that God is calling each and every one of us up higher? Sister Rafaela, God is calling you up higher. Sister Laura, God is calling you up higher higher, and I could go on around. Some of y'all think I just say that to everybody. I don't say that to everybody, but I do think it's applicable to most people that God is always calling you to be your best and to do your best. Should not God's people be the best? I don't mean better than people, but I mean just being your personal best. That's what God calls us to. He says there was one that had X bushels, Y bushels, and Z bushels. He didn't compare them to each other. He compared them to what their potential was. God is speaking to each and every one of us to set goals and reach our potentials. So you're going to raise your hand. If you raise your hand, you're saying, Pastor, I am going to be prayerfully considering spiritual goals for 2023. I know you got health goals, financial goals, emotional goals, but who promises you're going to have some spiritual goals? Amen. Notice we didn't examine you or evaluate your pedigree or say you're not from the right family or you're not the right nationality. It's for whosoever will has a desire. Jesus used the people that the religious wrote off. God can use anybody. It's not your ability. It's your availability to him. Jesus tonight. We just call on the power of your name. Lord, we know that you're able in every circumstance. We magnify your goodness and your mercy. God, these are sick, these who have afflictions, those that are weary, those that are grieved. God, whatever the need is, you know who they are. God, we just yield every need to you and say, Lord, we just ask you to speak. God, use us as salt and light. Help us to minister grace to the hurting. God, even today, begin to turn situations around and give us confidence that in your name, all things are possible. And let the church of God that yields faith say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen tonight. Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to read kind of an obscure text for what I'm going to talk about tonight, but I think it bodes well for our content. It says, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon you. And what? Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And I'll read the rest of it. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to zero in on that phrase where it's talking about learn of me, for I am. Five words. Meek and lowly in heart. I'm going to kind of use an example here. A few years ago, I read an article. It was a sports article. It kind of one of those things, Robert, that popped up on my phone. I couldn't help but read it. I'm not a NFL football fan. They lost me a few years ago with some of their attitude, and so I just forget you guys. But the article caught my eye because the title, Peter King was the author of the article, and Peter King said, speaking of a man named Tom Brady, he says, Brady is a hard nut. It just kind of perplexed me for a minute. So I had to read enough to see what he was implying or saying. And this is what Peter King, probably top two or three sports journalist in America, highest paid. King said this. He says, Tom Brady has been hit. He's been penalized. He's been punished. He's been criticized. But he's also gotten back up. He's won more awards, won more championships, and his only goal at this point, because he's already set all the records, his only goal is he wants to play just three more years, because if he plays three more years, he will be the oldest quarterback to ever play in the NFL. Now, he's already achieved that mark, and we're not here today to celebrate Tom Brady. Just as an example, one of the greatest journalists of this era in sports, Peter King, speaking about one of the most well-recognized athletes in the world at this time, in six words described him. And that really stuck with me, that a man that makes his living by the word summed up this significant player in just six words. Causes me to want to ask you the question tonight, thinking about where we're going, if we're going to set spiritual goals, we're going to achieve all that God's called us to be. What do you want your peers to be able to say about your contribution to the kingdom of God when you have reached the zenith, the apex, the maximum of your years? Now, Tom Brady is now 45. Oh, that I was 45 again. I, I had a, a Christmas dinner with a pastor, a friend of mine. We grew up together. We have the same birthday. I am four years older. But every year we live, he's catching up with me. Because when I was eight, he was four. I was twice as old as him. I am now 50. Five, he is 51. He is catching up with me. 
and we don't get to see each other as much as we like, but we kind of make uh, a open commitment to sometime before Christmas, the week or two before Christmas, we try to get together. We meet in a neutral city and share a meal. And so last night we met, and I said, my friend, can you believe, remember our first youth camps together, and there was a matriarch and a patriarch, a husband and wife that were over the camps, and I said, do you remember how old they were, how ancient they acted, how out of fashion they were? He says, yeah. I says, I am now one year older than they were then. You might as well go ahead and get my casket ready. I mean, I'm just, I'm old as dirt. Do you know that I've gone back and repented numerous times for mocking what I thought was old? Anybody besides me? Now, my, my point is, I did pick on their fashion, and they did seem older than they really were. They were just from a generation that was just a hard generation, and and fun was not allowed. That's really not the people you want heading up a youth camp, by the way, but that's a whole other story. But they had so great spiritual qualities. And I say that, that I'm starting to get into that reflective mode. How am I going to be remembered? Now, I don't have my landing gear out yet. Who's ever flown? Whoever gets excited about the landing gear coming down, there's hope. This turbulence will be over. You know, I can turn my phone back on. Yay! I don't have my landing gear out. I'm not. But I am evaluating how I'm going to land. How am I going to end? What are people going to say? How am I going to be remembered? Who thinks pastor's happy? Am I a happy person? We are happy people, yes. We're so happy. Who thinks I'm a happy person? Did y'all know without any reason at all, I whistle? I love to whistle. I wake up in a good mood. It annoys some people. But I wake up in a good mood. So I'm happy. Who thinks I'm content? No. We can get one more thing done today. We got a three-day weekend, and I got a hammer. Let's build a room. Yes. Yay. I'm never content. We can do just a little more. We can do just a little better, okay? I've said I'm being very specific. So I want to be remembered as happy but never content with the status quo. Another thing I'd like to be remembered for, I, do you all know I don't necessarily control how I'm remembered? I mean, my actions dictate it, but it'll be those who are alive and remain. You know, those who missed the rapture. Just kidding. Um, I also want to be remembered for he really loved people. I want to be remembered. He loved people. He loved people. He loved people. Okay. So we read this text tonight, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to give a description. He... Think about it. Go back through all the scriptures. This is the only passage I can find where Jesus really describes himself. He said, learn of me. Learn about me. Watch me. 
Examine me. Evaluate me. I am gentle and I am humble in heart. If you want to know what it means to be like Jesus, five words. Gentle and humble in heart. Now that seems easy, but who admits sometimes that is hard? Okay. Now I'm getting away from my notes, but I'm trying to really zero in. Sister Delita did a wonderful job putting our bulletin together, and tonight it talks in general terms that we're going to look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word and the life of Jesus. How how do we line up? Are are we mimicking? Because really that's what a disciple, they're a model. They emulate. Doesn't every little boy want to emulate his father? And they get the soap and they put it on their face and hopefully they don't have a real razor, but they try to shave or Whatever they see their dad do, they're going to do it too. And they want to dress like dad dresses and walk in dad shoes. And really, that is what we as disciples of Jesus are called to do is to model or emulate him. And so sometimes we think we're doing pretty good, but we haven't gone back to the mirror. We haven't gone back to the word in a while. Now, I'm being honest. I get in a hurry sometimes. And I bolt out the door because I'm trying to get here to meet somebody or I got to go to a hospital, somebody's having surgery, and I bolt. And there's been more than one time that I knew I was getting the hairy eyeball. And Sister Tomasa, I didn't know why at first. And then after I'd been there a while and drank some coffee, I said, well, I'm going to use the restroom. And I go to the restroom, and most bathrooms have a mirror, and I look in the mirror. Oh, I forgot to comb my hair when I got out of the shower. No wonder I'm getting those crazy look. I get in a- Who knows a mirror can be a good thing. I'm not vain. I'm not vain. But you don't want to create controversy. It's like, what happened to your hair? Now, if that can happen, I'm asking, if that can happen in the natural, can that not also happen in the spiritual, that we get so busy living life that we haven't stopped and put our face in the mirror of God's word and see how we look in comparison to what his word? Now, guys, that's good. And we come to church and can't figure out why pastor's looking at us weird in the spirit. Sometimes we get so busy, we haven't stopped and taken inventory, and we have not prepared, groomed, equipped ourselves uh, to be ready for the day, to be the best we can be, to be at our best, to present our best. How do you want to be remembered? Is the person who always had wild hair? I don't think Einstein spent a lot of time on his hair. I'm just being honest. How do you want to be remembered? Jesus says, lean into me, watch me, learn from me. This is the the nucleus of spiritual success, gentleness and humbleness in heart. Break it down. What is the antonym or the opposite of gentle? What do you think of? What? Aggressive. She said that so aggressively. What, what else? Anybody? That's how I learn quick is always look at what the opposite is so I understand what I'm aiming at. Explosive. 
voice of experience talking here. <laughs> Give me one more. Angry, okay. So gentle, the word I think of is an old English word. It's found in the Old Testament, especially in Malachi and Ezekiel. The word is brutish. Do y'all remember the Pi cartoon, Brutus? And he just stepped all over people. It's all about him. That is a great, great visual of what the opposite of gentle is, is self-centered, don't care who I step on, I want it. I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to win this case. I'm going to, I'm going to be successful at any cost. Gentle, gentle, aggressive, excellent, explosive, accurate. I just want you to realize is that there's almost a quality of bullying, bullying, okay? And so Jesus says, if, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to succeed, you want to have spiritual success, number one, be gentle. Don't be brutish, bullish, but be gentle, Okay. I'm asking a question. If you know somebody is explosive or somebody is angry or somebody is abrasive or aggressive, does it, if you make a mistake, do you really get excited about going to them? You don't run to them, you run from them. If you know you're going to get 50 lashes with a wet noodle, if you know they're going to call you low down and high smelling, if you know they're going to lop your head off, does it incentivize the relationship? Okay. And so this is something through spiritual maturity I personally have had to work on is being gentle. Okay. I haven't always been gentle. I'm working on me. Gentleness is critically important because if you're not gentle, you'll never set the right atmosphere for people to be able to be vulnerable and, and be honest about where they're at. Did you break this? No, no, I didn't break that. No, I didn't do that. No, 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 no. Because they know you're fixing to get put on the rack and beat with a whip. No, okay. Gentle, what's the second one? It's humble where? Humble in heart. This may be the most important thing I say. Let's be honest. We know how to work a room. We know how to sound humble. Oh, you're very kind. Praise be to God. No, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. You don't have to keep bragging on me. No, no, no. Quit, 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 quit. We know how to say it, but we don't really mean it. It's just a gift from God. Just a gift from God. Come on, be honest. We know how to put the appearance of being humble or humility but it doesn't matter our words or our actions. God knows what's in our heart. And we think we know it all and you can't tell me anything. Guess what? As a pastor, when you get an attitude that I can't teach anything, you're absolutely right. I can't teach you anything. Do you understand that the more we learn, the less teachable we are? The more we know, the more we think we know. Are there any doctors in here? I'm not picking on doctors. I have a doctor in the family. He, he's a somewhat rare exception <clears throat> most of the time. Who's ever heard of the God complex? 
There is a, and I worked in the hospital with a lot of doctors when I was in college, and then Julie worked in the hospital for years, and then she's worked in other industries with doctors, and so we've had a lot of interaction. It is amazing. A man gets a degree as a doctor, a medical doctor. He, he's allowed to practice medicine. If he's still practicing, is he that smart? I'm just asking. Okay, just asking. Asking for a friend. Isn't it amazing that a man that went to school all those years to understand the systems of the physical body and to be a diagnostician, to be able to identify ailments and issues, he all of a sudden gets a master's degree in auto mechanics, roofing, plumbing, tax preparation. Why are y'all looking at me so funny? Isn't it amazing that when somebody gets that doctor out beside their name, they become an expert on everything. Where does that come from? Because they have a proficiency in an area, an area of expertise. Now they Education, training, knowledge, it, the byproduct, most of the time, it puffs up the human mind, the physical body. We get lifted up in pride. And it's amazing when people obtain, and I'm so glad we have doc, medical doctors, and I'm so glad they sacrifice at a high level to learn, to help us, but that does not mean they know how to fix a car or roof a house or unstop a drain. It does not make them God's gift to everybody for everything. But why does that happen? And it happens a lot. Why? Because the more you learn, the more you think you know. Who admits we are susceptible to that? Okay. I know what I'm doing. Okay. So somebody get for me, I believe it's Romans chapter 12. Verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man, look that word up, it means all humanity, so it's not just males. Let that sink in a minute. To every man that is among you, not above you, but among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man and woman the measure of faith. I want you to realize that Paul is talking to the church at Rome, and it's by the grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. God's extended grace through him to speak a word of truth to them that every man that is among them. Now, there's a certain denomination, I won't call the name, but they worship the Virgin Mary. They elevate her. Oh, Mary, above all, through all, and in all. No. The Bible says that Mary should be esteemed among women, not above all women. Say amen. We don't worship people. There is one God and him alone will we worship, okay? And so he is saying here that all of us are on the same level. 
There's no big eyes or little U's. And so by that, we should not think of ourselves that we are above our brother, our sister, our neighbor, or anyone else. Now, who has been in the company of somebody that you knew they felt superior to you? How does that make you feel? Now, in Matthew 11, who was superior to the disciples? The master. His name is Jesus. Did Jesus constantly come off in an arrogant fashion, lording over them? No, he walked and taught among them. He ate what they ate. He slept where they slept. And in a very what? Gentle and humble way, he conveyed the messages of God to them. Now, notice what it says here, that we should not think. We have to choose this, to not think of ourselves more highly, more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Some have used this verse to try to say, if you're ever proud of anything, you're going to bust hell wide open, or you should have such a broken spirit. You should have such low self-esteem. You should never make eye contact with people. You should keep yourself all the ways down. You should always, always be in sackcloth and ashes. You should never eat at the table with the pastor. You should never make eye contact with the ministry. Do what? Okay. This is very important. It's a little axiom I put together. When it says for us not to think more highly of ourselves, it's talking about our self-esteem. Self-esteem is how we see ourselves. If a person has low self-esteem, they see themselves as very lowly. There is a difference between low self-esteem and humility. Let this sink in. Low self-esteem is not the will of God, for you were created in the image and the likeness of God. God created you, and he knew the thoughts, the plans he had for you. He says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You ever thought about that word fearfully? That when the angels, who in many ways are superior to human beings, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, although they saw the way that God created man, it made them afraid. For angels are not redeemable, but God made humans that are redeemable. So yes, we are able to sin and fail the grace of God, but we're also able to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And angels can't be. We are fearfully Look out. Look out. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Does this sound like God wants you to step on your own image of yourself? Now, we've got a generation that's worshiping themselves. They are their own God. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So this is the point I want you to get. When this says for you not to think more highly of yourself, what it is saying is it doesn't say think less of yourself it's saying think less about yourself. Not less of yourself, but less about yourself. Who in here thinks of yourself 60 minutes every hour? 24 hours of every day, or at least 16. Little children do. 
But we're no longer children, are we? And as we mature, we have to think about what? Others. Jesus says, be like me. This, this, this is it. This is the whole lesson. Be like me. Be gentle and humble in heart. That humble in heart is important because we can deceive people that we're humble. But humble in heart is where we have brought under subjection. We don't think we're inferior, but we choose not to elevate or pump ourselves up. Who in here has ever been asked to serve, serve a meal? What this is saying is, serve a meal, don't take over. Who's ever been taught to teach a class, or asked to teach a class? Okay. Teach the class, don't, don't take over the Sunday school, right? Learn how to do what you've been asked to do without allowing yourself to become big in your own eyes. Let's be honest, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because we're so smart. And we're so good. And y'all's problem is y'all don't know how good I am. See? If y'all really knew how awesome I really... You're just too dumb to realize how... We don't say that. But don't we hear that voice in our mind sometimes? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know what I have to offer? Paul is telling the church at Rome that we should choose to humble ourselves, not to think of ourselves more highly. It is a stumbling block. Okay, I told you that Brady was described in his generation for his achievement in six words. Jesus gave us five words. I can boil those five words down into one word. You're not going to like it. Servant. Servant. Can I ask you, what would be the greatest position Jesus could have come in? The greatest job description, greatest position, greatest uh, career path, greatest, you name it. Who the greatest? Obviously, being a servant was the greatest because that's what he came as if there was something greater, he would have assumed that position. Okay, he exemplified that being a servant is the greatest way to fulfill gentle and humble in heart. Go to your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter thirteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna fly from this point forward. I've just been kind of lollygagging, but I'm gonna get serious in just a minute. Does anybody? I'm gonna hurt my own feelings. Does anybody remember what the topic was Sunday morning in the preaching? I heard it. Joy, and it's an old acrostic, but it man, it just kept ringing in my ears today. Joy comes from Jesus first. Others second, yourself last. If you want to have true joy, we're in the holiday season. We don't have any little ones in here, do we? I don't want to ruin anybody's Christmas. Uh, well, little ones is a subjective term. But Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Who remembers being seven to nine? And you couldn't wait for Christmas because it, like, it took like 10 years to go from Christmas to Christmas. You know, now that you're buying the gifts, it takes like six weeks to go. I just paid off last Christmas and here we are. 
Please don't do that. Please don't charge Christmas. Please don't do that. Please. Yeah. I wasn't advocating for that, okay? So, you remember as a kid, you looked forward to Christmas for what you got. Be honest. Anybody here? Stretch Armstrong, G.I. Joe's, an STP racer. Anybody remember STP racer? How, how about Commodore 64? The Commodores? Come on. Y'all had crummy toys. I mean, we had good toys. We had good toys. Couldn't wait for an erector set. Couldn't wait. Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys. Couldn't wait, right? Legos. Yes. What's your, what's your point, Pastor? Now, I tell Julie, don't buy me anything. Because I already bought myself some. It's okay. Just, don't buy me anything. What's your point, Pastor? My point is, now I can't wait because of what we got the grandbabies for Christmas. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. Julie looked at me the other day and said, can we give it to him? I said, no, no, no. But I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing myself. Can we give it to him? Where did I go to? Where did I go to? Do you see the shift there that when you're little and immature, it's about you? When you get older and more mature, it's about others. Jesus first, others second, ourself last. What mother who loves her children would eat the last portion of food without making sure her babies were fed first? Others for, I said mothers. Us dads, we don't share. Survival of the fittest, right? John's Gospel, chapter 13. I lost a few of you right there. John's Gospel, chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. I love that last phrase. He loved them unto the end. Sister Marty, I could preach that on a Wednesday night. He loved them to the end. Do you realize the, the scene here? And, and I'm getting against my own kind here, us theologians, and we like to parse verbs, and we like to evaluate nouns and look at sentence structure. We're guilty of focusing on the grammar and fail to evaluate the scene. What's going on? I'm a visual learner. I have no patience for destructions. I mean directions. If I read directions, they're very destructive. But you show me how to assemble something once, and I can duplicate it fast over and over and over and over again. Okay? Jesus is setting a scene. He's not just giving them verbs and grammar. He's, he's giving them a scene. Do you realize he's just hours from giving up his life. It's his last meal with his disciples. Those He had poured himself out, wrung himself out for about three years and maybe a couple of months with these guys. And, and he has told them that if you want to be a disciple, you want to be a good disciple... He says, be gentle and humble in heart. He has to say in another area, if you want to be the greatest, learn to be the servant of all. But do you know what's going on here? Now, who's seen that 
classic artist rendering of the Last Supper. They're all sitting in these leather-covered wingback chairs, all facing the artist. It was not that way, people. They did not have chairs. They had low tables and pillows thrown around. And more than likely, they were leaning on an elbow, picking food off a table with their hands. And the tables were so low that their feet were not under the table. Their feet most often was to their side, being offensive to their neighbor. And here is Jesus, and he has spent quality time. Now think about it. You who pay for daycare or private school for your kids, and one of the selling points is that we have uh, great quality teachers, and we have very serious class structure, and there's better student-teacher ratio. Statistics prove one teacher with 12 to 20 students is more effective than one teacher with 24 to 36 students. There's just not enough to go around. You can't give the attention. You can't tutor. You can't see the deficiencies or how you can. There's just limited. Think about it. Three years continuous eat, drink, and sleep, room and board included, education with Jesus. And he has said over and over again, I came not to serve, but to serve. Excuse me, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. He is exemplified over and over again, making sure people don't leave hungry, casting out devils, open blinded eyes. He literally is just pouring himself out for the people. And do you know, this is his last meal. His last, first one tells us he knows this is it. And he wants to make sure he leaves an indelible mark on their mind that they get the significance of his teaching. Now, it doesn't say it in John 13, but in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, parallel accounts of this same meal, they're jockeying for position. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to be your authority. I'm going to lead this ministry. Jesus has promised them a kingdom, and they want their place because we have followed him for three years. Hear me. Following is not the same as applying. You can show up to church every service for 20 years, but if it's not getting in here and it's not coming out in your hands and your, and your words, and your, it ain't going to matter. And Jesus is trying to make sure they get it. And at the very last meal, it's not about him, is it? Who's it about? Me, me, me. What about me? Am I going to be number one? Am I going to be number two? What are you going to have me do? They're arguing. And Jesus did not remember he was gentle and he was humble in heart. And the Bible says that he let them keep arguing. And he went and got a towel and a basin and he began to wash their stinking feet. He was not washing it ceremonially. Obviously, they were too busy to stop and wash their own feet. They had open sewers in Jerusalem, open garbage in the roads. To this day, I've had friends that have visited the seven churches of Asia, and I said, was it impressive? No, it was dirty. Still in a lot of those countries, it's open sewer, open garbage, and what should be beautiful monuments are, are really not very well kept. 
It's part of their culture. And so in biblical times, you washed your feet as you came into a home because you're washing sewer and trash. You're not bringing that into the home. But they had been so eager to find their place and jockey for position that had failed to be cleansed. And so Jesus didn't say, hey, stupid. What do you mean coming in here all dirty? The Bible says he didn't even say, excuse me, guys. You're too dumb, so let me demonstrate how humble I am. This is a teachable moment. I'm going to get a towel, and I'm going to show you how awesome I am. He never said a word. Do you realize being humble in heart you do the work that you see need to be done, and you don't care if anybody notices or recognizes it because you're not doing it to be seen. You're doing it to serve. Do you realize Jesus has just promised them his kingdom? Catch this. So they're thinking this guy's going to kick Rome out, and we're going to be an autonomous country again, and woohoo! even angels may come down and help us run them off the battlefield. And here's Jesus, their king, and he has taken a towel, and he's now trying to wash their feet. Do you know in Jewish culture, the, not only the lowest position in the service or slave hierarchy was foot washer, did you know that it was so disdained, so distasteful, so lowly, so beneath them that even a Jewish slave could not be made to wash another person's feet. Even though you're a slave, Jewish slaves were not required to wash other people's feet. That is so beneath them. What job, what position did Jesus take without being asked? The same God that left heaven is the same God that left the throne of his disciples and began to take the lowest position that he could serve them. Can I make a point here? If you have to brag on your humility, it evaporates. If you have to say, look how humble I am. He didn't say a word. I want to make this point. And you know old Simon Peter said what? Oh, you're not washing my feet. Do you know what? I've prayed about this. Do you know what the, you know what the problem was there? It's the same reason people don't get baptized or people don't come to the altar, or the people don't raise their hand for prayer. It's pride. It's pride. I'm going to say it again. It's pride. Oh, you're not washing my feet. Jesus says if I wash, it's either in or out. You need to get in or you need to get out. If you're in, I'm going to wash your feet. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have a voice. You're out. Do you know what I've realized as far as maturity? Do you know the leaders I can trust is not the ones who think they have all the answers and they step up and try to solve all the problems and they never call me or they never ask a question. They just, oh, I just took care of it. That makes me nervous sometimes. Do you know the leaders that I trust under me is the ones that can do the things they know they can do, but when they know it's above them, they know I better call, I better inquire, I better ask. I'm asking a question. If your child is going from teenager to adult, are they going to make mistakes? 
But the beginning of you really trusting them with the car or with money or leaving them to go on vacation by this or whatever, you fill in the blank, is not that they're going to do everything right all the time, is that they know what they don't know. They know there's a limit to what they do know. And they're not afraid to ask for help. He remembers a little boy, no, no, I got it, I got it, I got it, and then crash burn. He drops a whole platter with a gallon of milk and seven glasses, right? shatters it everywhere. Because he, he, he could do it, right? Could he do it? Okay. I want you to know there's no shame in trying. I really think what God wants from each one of us is for us to do what we can do, but then not be so proud to not allow him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Who in here can save yourself? We all need a savior. So why do we resist letting him help us? You're saying we don't, but we do. Who in here can heal yourself? But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement was on him. And by his stripes we what? Might be healed, could be healed. We are healed. So we can't heal ourselves, but he is able to heal us. But no, 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 no. I came in here afflicted, but I'm going to work it out myself. And we won't ask for prayer. We We won't accept baptism. Because if we allowed ourselves to be baptized, we're admitting we need God's help. Can I give you a word? You need God's help. I can tell you what life was like without him. It was a mess. The best example I, I, I can give for this, we get weird. I remember the story of a, a uh, church-wide picnic. And the pastor and the pastor's wife had seen a guy. He was late teens, didn't have much of a home life worked a menial job, had very little money, and the church was having a big lunch down by the river, going to play horseshoes and sack races and plenty of food for everybody. And they said, hey, man, why don't you come on? He said, well, I don't, I, uh, he, I don't really have a lot to contribute. No, no, just, we got plenty of food, just come on. But his pride, Brother Smotherman, was, I, got, I can't show up empty-handed. Now, part of me appreciates that. He said, I'll fix my own lunch. I got enough for me. I don't have enough to feed everybody, but I got enough for me. And so he had two pieces. One of them was the heel of a stale loaf of bread. He had to pick the little moldy spots off the bread. He had just enough mustard in a jar, putting the knife in there. He got it all, mustard all of his fingers. You know what I'm talking about? Scraping the bottom of the mustard jar. He's got mustard in his hands. Just a little thin piece of meat you could almost read the newspaper through. And he wrapped it up in a, in a piece of uh, wax paper and put it in a used brown paper sack. And he went down there, and it got time to eat. And, man, a table, I mean, spread, I mean, three blocks of food. Man, banana pudding, uh, f- fried salmon patties, cream-style corn. Come on, somebody. Mashed potatoes, yeast rolls. I'm feeling it right now. Okay. And the pastor saw him sitting over here under a shade tree with that brown paper sack, and he pulled it out, and the mustard was of the most flavor that moldy bread had. And he said, 
Come on over. We got plenty. No, 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 no. I'm just going to eat my sandwich. And finally, the pastor's wife fixed him a plate of food and took it to him. And he realized what he was missing out. She said, I'll tell you what. I'll swap my plate of food for your sandwich. You want to swap for my sandwich? Well, I'm thinking, she's thinking, no, not really. But it's the only thing I can do to get you to get, eat this. And so she swapped him a plate of food. She took his sandwich. I think she threw it away. What's our point? And we're over here hanging on to our moldy bread, thin piece of meat, mustard sandwich. And God's got a table spread before us. But our pride will not allow us to take what he's prepared. I can't do it, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. This is very near and dear to me, so I'm going to try not to tear up. From this passage, there are three things that Jesus says, to remember me, do these three things. They are doctrinal bedrock of the apostolic church. Number one, he says, baptize believers. Who knows we believe in baptism? Okay. We are, when we repent, we are baptized in his name. We are sealed by his blood and we're called by a new name. Amen. We're new creatures. Amen. Go down centers, come up saying it's beautiful. Yeah, I know it's just water, but it's the obedience to God and he brings transformation in our life. The old us is buried and the new us comes up. And I know there's been a lot of arguing over the years. Do we sprinkle or submerge? Is it uh, uh, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or is it in the name of Jesus? And is it essential or is it optional? Is it just ceremonial? There's been arguments. Who knows there's been arguments over baptism. But baptism is still part of the Christian church. The second thing he said do is at the table, when you take up the cup and the bread, do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents his body. The cup, the fruit of the cup represents his blood. And there's been arguments over that. Do, do we use soda crackers and Welch's? Or do we use unleavened bread and, and wine? Is, is it ceremonial? Or is it, is it transubstantiation where it becomes the literal body and blood, which I don't believe and you don't believe? Say amen. Because we're not cannibals and we don't drink blood. Okay. But there's been argument, but it still is honored in the Christian church. Some people argue it's once a year. Some people say it's every Sunday. Some people take the Lord's Supper every day. Okay. What's your point? But the third thing he said was that we should wash one another's feet. In other words, be a servant. And unfortunately, the chances are many of you have never had someone else wash your feet. And more than likely, if you have had someone else wash your feet, it was when you came here. Because in a lot of denominations, it's just obscure people and Appalachian communities, foothills that still, that's foolish. But just as clear and just as sure as Jesus taught baptism and just as sure and just as clear as he taught remember me at the table, he said, if you want to remember me, you want to know what my ministry is about, instead of trying to climb to the top, trying to propel yourself, trying to be puffed up in your own knowledge, you want to be great, 
be a servant by ministering one to another. Take the lowest position. You want to find out if you're humble or not? Humble yourself and see how it goes over. I have lost people in this church when it comes to foot washing time because there was an internal conflict. Well, I just don't think I just, just don't think that's necessary. Next year, who's going to set some goals, spiritual goals? It's great to set goals, but goals require aiming at a target. Tonight, here's your target. Am I a servant of Jesus Christ? I'm trying to give you something to aim at. When you set goals for 2023, ask yourself what things, okay, stop. If you're going to be a missionary, we used it last week. If I know that's what I'm aiming at, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to learn that language of that country. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to learn to eat the food they eat. You understand what I'm saying? If you know that your objective, your calling, is to be a servant of Jesus Christ, do you see how that's going to affect the goals you set next year? Okay. So raise your hand if you're saying, Pastor, I'm going to go through, I'm going to look at the Word and see how if I'm lining up to being a humble servant of Jesus Christ. Talking about me. Talking about me. I didn't say doormat, but I am saying we've got to learn how to serve. Serve. You want to know if you're a servant of God? Let somebody treat you like a servant, and you'll find out if you're submitted or not. Now, I skipped a bunch of stuff because I see the time, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're going to pray. Jesus, tonight, anoint us. God, we need your anointing on us more than we need anything else. God, we're thankful for training. We're thankful for education. We're thankful for experience. But God, tonight, above all else, we need your spirit to lead us and guide us. And God, baptize our minds again. And God, recalibrate our thinking towards what you've called us to be. God, let us never get caught up in the distractions, but let the main thing still be the main thing is to serve you and others with gladness. Help us tonight to begin to set goals that achieve your calling in our life, And let everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen.